they no longer had to have people come in at 4am to punch orders to get on the first truck because Lucy just took care of it. Now they understood the problem to, you know, rejig the process to say, well, you know, if it is obsolete, we've now got a process in play to find the replacement product for that so we don't have revenue leakage. Just that one thing alone, finding that one piece of data paid for Lucy four times over. Welcome to the e-commerce experience, the podcast that turns you into an e-commerce expert. Your host, Andrew Rogenkamp, shares his wealth of B2B and B2C business experience to take you on an e-commerce adventure. Each month, you'll hear from industry experts and meet people just like you, looking to take their business to new heights online. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the e-commerce experience. My name's Andrew Rogenkamp, and uh, I bring this podcast to you just to talk about different e-commerce concepts uh, around B2B and B2C based in Australia and around the world. So here we are in August 2020. Um, Victoria, Australia is now in stage four lockdown and uh, e-commerce continues to be a really important part of business continuity within the uh, economic environment and uh, is playing a really important, really important part. So this week I want to talk about a thing called sales order automation. And if you recall back to my very first podcast, I talked about two different types of B2B e-commerce. And one of them is B2B for manufacturing and distribution. And that's where we've got a manufacturer or distributor that's actually selling to another business. And they're typically on selling that from there. And the other one is manufacturing for business use. So that's typically the likes of companies like Staples and, um, and companies like that that are selling products to customers that are using them in the business. It, it might be stationary, it might be cleaning equipment and that sort of thing. So... Sales order automation plays a really important part in the manufacturing and distribution part of uh, the B2B e-commerce sphere because what happens in reality is, is that you've got sort of three types of customers that exist in that manufacturing and distribution environment. And I guess you could break them into small, medium, and large. So if we looked at the small companies first that are buying off you, Typically, they're really happy to be buying using your e-commerce website. They'll get on, they'll place orders, they'll use templates, they'll look at their favorites and all of that sort of stuff and they'll place the order for you. So that as a as a company that's got that e-commerce application, you're actually able to have a great cost to serve saving and, in, and, and by not having to key those orders in yourself into your sales order ERP system. And the customers also get benefit out of it, of course, by being able to um, uh, self-serve themselves online. They don't have to wait for a sales rep or send an email or a fax or anything like that. It can it can just easily go through. So what I want to cover now is is the other end of town, and that's the big end of town, and that might be in Australia where you're dealing with companies like Bunnings or, or Woolworths, um, you know, in any of the large end of town. They're normally going to be dealing with you in a couple of ways. Some of the ways those big companies like Bunnings deal with you is they actually want your sales reps to be inside their store doing a thing called merchandising, where they're actually your your sales reps are actually working out what the customer needs and and pretty much placing orders on their behalf. It's your responsibility to fill their shelves. 
But the other main way that those big companies are going to deal with you is via EDI. Now, EDI is a tool that's been around literally since the 80s, maybe even before that. And it's it's really just an, it's EDI stands for Electronic Data Interchange, and it's pretty much what it says is that those companies like Bunnings will send you a purchase order in the form of a electronic document. There's a, it, they take several different formats these days. Eddy factors are really old way of doing it. Uh, more more common ways uh, these days are uh, in, um, formats like CXML and uh, things like that. So essentially, they're sending you an electronic order, uh, and that will go directly if you've got an EDI uh, application at, at your end that will consume that. Uh, you'll send them. It, it will put that it, create a sales order in your ERP system so that you can uh, ship that to them. Uh, and then you'll send them back things like a purchase order acknowledgement. There's other documents in the EDI chain like um, uh, advanced shipping notices um, uh, and uh, invoices you can send them back. So in a true EDI environment, you can really automate uh, that whole exchange of information to do with what products your customer want and wants and ha- how you're going to invoice them. Uh, you can really automate that. Downside to B2B is, is that it's pretty expensive to implement from both sides. So unless you're a big supplier of um, some of these um, large companies like Bunnings, they typically will rule the roost uh, in terms of how they want to interact with you. So they'll just say, we're going to deal with you via EDI. Here's our spec. You must comply. Um, so, and that's to reduce the cost of implementation for the implementation for them. They just want it to be the same for everybody. So they're the big customer. They will dictate how things work in that environment. From your point of view, if you want to deal with the customer EDI, you need to have some EDI software. You're going to be paying uh, per transaction, and often the implementation is long and drawn out because there's a lot of work from both your side and um, your customer's side to make sure all of your stock codes match up, that the pricing's right, and all of that sort of stuff. So typically, in my experience, I've really only seen, you know, or not only seen, but you, you see it all the time, is EDI at that big end of town. So because there's a, there's a high cost uh, barrier to entry to get into EDI. So then we've got the challenge of that middle ground, And the middle ground is all of those customers that you're dealing with that are pretty sophisticated themselves. They've got their own ERP systems and they want to buy off you. But when they buy off you, the way they'll work out their inventory requirements and what they want to raise on a purchase order isn't by browsing through your website. It'll be by reorder and replenishment logic that exists in their ERP system. So their ERP system is going to say, in a store, maybe it's a store that's selling tools and they're buying off a tool supplier. They're going to have a whole lot of minimum stock for each product. And because their ERP system is actively tracking what they've got on hand, they'll run a reorder report um, or, or process maybe once a week or even once a day and work out to say that I need to buy all of these tools off this tool supplier. And what they'll do is they'll just it will just convert that into a purchase order and typically what they'll do is they'll send that they'll email that purchase order to you via PDF. So then the challenge is is at your end, you, you know, they're not going to go and put that, they're not going to go and email that off to you and then jump on your website and key it in. There's there's just there's just nothing in it for them to do that. That's that they see that as your job that I want to be doing that for you. So you're stuck entering that order. And you think, well, why can't I get this through my e-commerce site? 
And that's really where sales order automation comes in. And sales order automation is a tool out there that can automatically take that PDF purchase order, recognize who it's from, and then bring that order into your ERP system and do all the validations necessary to do that. So today I'm lucky enough to have Aaron Rasmussen from a company called Let Lucy, who have developed a really cool product that uh, specializes in sales order automation. Aaron, welcome along. No worries. Thanks for inviting me. So just first of all, tell me about the name Lucy or Let Lucy. How did that come about? Yeah. So I guess one of the things about the name um, was really even before we decided, um, you know, the name of Lucy was really about personifying uh the software, I suppose. I mean, we we sat down and we we spoke about different ideas for names and this, you know, automator and autotasker and all of these different sort of software sounding names. And and the catch with those is, you know, I guess the market is a filled with those things. But um, b we knew we had a little bit of a a fight on our hands when it came to you know getting getting Lucy or getting you know the software into businesses because we really wanted her to seem like more of a colleague than an enemy. Mm-hmm. And when you know you're implementing automation tools, people can be a little bit fearful, especially when it comes to you know their jobs, their livelihood. Um, so putting a bit of a, a friendly face and feel to the application um, was definitely high on our list. Um, the actual name Lucy passed all that. It was just a you know Lucy's just a nice friendly name. You know right, I okay. I know a Lucy and she's lovely. Yeah, okay. and um, I'm sure you do too. Yeah, pretty cool. All right, so maybe. Can you explain to me, you know, in my intro, I talked about how this automation technology, and a lot of people don't even know it exists, can sit in the middle of your supply chain in terms of you've got all of your smaller customers ordering online, all of your bigger customers EDI. Just explain to me the process of how how a sales order automation tool works. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, I guess as far as, you know, the the types of things that, that Lucy can handle, um, you know, I mean, that's sort of how, how it all came about, well, that that gap between, you know, e-commerce and, and EDI. Um, I mean, really, most most of our customers already have a current process in place. So they're doing the replenishments, you know, they're, they're, their customers are doing the replenishments. They're getting PDF purchase orders via email. Um, you know, the problem is already there. The process already exists. So really, Lucy just takes the current process that's happening manually where you have people taking the PDF from an email and and essentially doing data entry to get that information into a system. Um, she's repeating that same process, but doing it with AI. So uh, she picks up the order from the email, takes the uh, attachment. It's a little, little bit of a process there of her getting that information. Um, and then she uses some smarts and follows business logic to get it into the system. Um, so it's not it's nothing new. It's a digitization of an existing process. And that's why it works so well is you don't really have to teach people about a change in process. It's just, well, it is what we've always done, except for your colleague Lucy is just going to take care of that data entry piece now. So I guess that's key um, from a change management uh, type of environment. You know, I've worked over the years with many EDI implementations, and I know there's a lot of work from both sides to get that EDI implementation. This sounds to me like the cu- the customer has no change, maybe than other than changing sending where they're sending their purchase order to, or or maybe that doesn't even change. Very very minimal, yeah. And and most people don't actually change where the orders get sent. Um, there's just some smarts in there to decide whether or not orders get sent to to Lucy. 
Um, but I suppose as far as change management goes, it's it's really dependent on on how good customer data is. So that's I guess one of the benefits of Lucy is that she's pretty good at taking bad data. So an example would be a a product code, right? So your customer orders something, uh, their product code doesn't match what's in your system. Um, so Lucy will come up with uh, a list of, you know, what she thinks and she attempts to fix those problems. But if the stuff that they're sending you is so bad, then that's really where the change management comes into play of trying to get customers to at least slightly come to the party. But it, it's not a big problem. Um, we find that our customers start with the low-hanging fruit, the guys that have, you know, data that's pretty good. Um, and Lucy's really, really great at that. Um, and if you really want to go the whole way and get everybody on board to automation, then there might be a small piece of change management there. But um, we we try to do everything we can to avoid change management. Mm-hmm. People don't like change. Yeah, yeah, on both ends too. But people certainly like the change of uh, the cost to serve changes, I'm sure. A- absolutely. And and I guess, you know, cost cost to serve, you know, you could, you could talk about it in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, and and that's, that's one thing that, that we see with our customers is they might not necessarily reduce headcount. You know, when you think about cost to serve, you know, you're, you're spending money on someone sitting there and punching those orders in, but you may be able to repurpose them. And that's that's probably something that we've seen seen more of across our customer base is is having those those resources and these are these are real knowledge workers they know a lot about your business mm. they know a lot about your customers and putting them in more outward facing roles has has uh, reaped significant benefit right okay and i guess there's a time to you know sometimes somebody might email an order off to you know james who's who's their normal contact but they don't know that james is uh off sick today or he's in training or something like that it's that you know what's what's generally the time between somebody sending a purchase order uh, a buyer sending a purchase order and that being in the system that lucy's integrating to in their erp system typically how long does that take so for for the lucy side i guess we've, we've done some studies on this um sort of pre-lucy post-lucy if lucy takes more than 60 seconds to get an order and there's there's something catastrophically wrong pretty impressive so yeah. the, the process is very very quick um the, the the key point that you're generally waiting is where a decision needs to be made that sits outside lucy's uh, i guess authority to make you know so she's got some smarts in there so she can make decisions on pricing if you teach her your business logic uh, but if she has to wait for a person then it's just as long as that that person takes. But one of the one of the things we noticed, um, and and talking to customers before they got Lucy on board was that that time period, you know. And you mentioned, you know, someone being away, but we saw that up to forty percent of a customer service rep's daily order intake, so they're going to sit down and punch these orders in, was there waiting for them before they even started their working day. Oh, okay. So before they get in, these orders are coming in overnight from restaurants and correct, you know, big big delis and stuff like that after the shops have closed yeah absolutely you know people are sitting there you know doing their ordering for the next day or you know systems run overnight to do those automatic replenishments Mm. so they're having to devote their morning and disregard other tasks to get these things in and that was a a major change we saw with one of our customers in in the food industry where you know they no longer had to have people come in at 4 a.m to punch orders to get on the first truck because lucy just took care of it and they're they're just you know, ready to pick with their RF terminals or uh, on picking slips at 6 a.m. in the morning or whenever those uh, pickers come in. So so that, to me, would see That's a, an increase in, you know, previously, and le- you know, and it sounds crazy that you have people coming in at 3 a.m. in the morning to do these sort of things. If you don't have that, really what's <laughs> going to happen is those orders won't dispatch until the next day. 
which of course is all, you know, depending on how much you're shipping a month, in terms of velocity of cash, that's going to, I know a day is not a lot, but it's bringing that forward. But it's also increasing customer service, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. I mean, if, you know, you, you, you would know it now, even just being a consumer, when mm. you buy something, if it comes a little bit earlier, you're surprised, you're happy and you yeah. go back because yeah. you appreciate it. You know, I, everyone's so impatient now. Mm. So, you know, to have something, you know, imagine things happen overnight and you, you place an order and, you know, you go to bed. You, you run a small to medium business. And before you even start work the next day, you've got an email back from that, that company saying, hey, we've got your order. Yep. It's going to the warehouse. It's Could ready be there to go. at 10.30 in you the know, morning. It, it doesn't happen often yeah. enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, trying to increase that velocity is, is, is paramount, especially mm. with people like Amazon starting to slowly push into all of the industries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because I think that, you know, in terms of, you know, the future. I don't I don't know if that gap's ever going to be, or not for a long time anyway, be filled. You know, it's always going to be EDI or order online or people, people sending PDFs. I don't see that going away anytime soon. No. Well, I mean, the holy grail would be to have, you know, completely connected systems mm. and, and automation end-to-end. We've been end. talking about and that for 30 years. They've though. been trying to solve that yeah. problem for yeah. 30 years. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody's got different standards. That's it. That's yeah. it. And, uh, you know, it's it's our way or the highway and it's mm. um you know you, you, you need a system to be able to do those translations to take to take what some system thinks it is and be able to talk to the other system and and allow them to talk to each other you know that's why you know something like lucy is important over a tool like edi edi is very uh, i know it communicates in both directions but it's very one-sided in its communication it sort of you know it says here's here's the information that's the end of the story. You know, if yeah, you've got a problem right. with it's it. It's black or white. So I say I'm buying a product at $5. I send it to the supplier. The supplier says, no, it's $6. It just bounces that back to my system and my system bounces it back to them. And, you know, there's, there's no room for human intervention, which when two systems disagree, somebody's got to get, a human's got to get involved if you don't have business rules around around the, you know, the variances and the tolerances and stuff like that. So it sounds like Lucy allows that... Yeah really good combination of, you know, the the digitization of that, but still having that human element in it where decisions can be made, you know, where where tolerances are broken. Yeah, yeah. Well it's really it's really up to you where you want that that line to sit. She'll make decisions that you want her to make mm. and then she'll defer to humans where when necessary. And I think one of the things that's important about that, especially touching on EDI, is the kinds of people that interact with the system. So, you know, if if you're running EDI and, and something hits the brakes because of that order, you're generally deferring to technical teams. Yeah, that's true. Who may not necessarily mm. understand, you know, what should be happening in mm. these cases. But it, with Lucy, you give you give the power to the people who know the product and the customers and the business and the logic. You yeah. know, they know that Gary the rep is rogue and gave them a price, you know, yep. 10% under margin. They know how to deal with that. And I guess... I'm really, really starting to see that personification of Lucy now in that really Lucy's just this extra person that's sitting at the end of the table doing all the hard work and when so, when she needs to ask a question uh, that's outside her, you know, the rules that have been set for her, um, she just puts her hand up and says, you know, can you help me out here? And that, that allows, you know, those other people to get on with, you know, other work while Lucy's doing the, the hack work, you might say. Yeah, that. That's actually the, the best best way to put it. I mean, that's 
we sort of tell a similar story with our customers when, when they come on board is that, you know, try and think of Lucy as a new hire that mm. doesn't really know much about your business. You know, she may have a bit of an understanding of your industry and she definitely understands the purchase order to sales order process. Mm. But you need to teach her about your products. You need mm. to teach her about your customers. And as she learns those things, mm. she then starts to make those decisions mm. herself. So, obviously, you've got some sort of integration to ERP systems. How are you, how are you going about doing that sort of thing? Um, interesting journey, actually. Uh, I guess like uh, like most software that integrates, you start with one and you expand from there. Um, one of the things that's uh, important to us is integration. And um, I, I think actually, I, I read a blog of yours a few years ago, Andrew, where you spoke about uh, integration versus interfacing and, and the difference between those two. And and for us, day one has always been really important to have that deep integration because we don't want to do the EDI thing where we bundle up the order and throw it at the system and say, job done. It's important to get the information back from the system about well, what's actually wrong because it may not be small. It might not be, you know, the product code's wrong. It might actually be something more severe, like uh, that particular customer needs to be licensed for these sets of products yeah, okay. or all they're right. not permitted to buy that or they have to buy, you know, impact quantities of six or, you know, all those rules that are already baked into the ERP need to be exposed to Lucy and need to be exposed to any tool that you're using to automate. Yeah. Um, so integration is very important. Yeah, I always talk about integration uh, and I always give the example of a sales rep where you start a new sales rep and you say to that sales rep, um, you know, welcome aboard, Aaron. Here's here's the book of rules. Here's all the product codes, the price you must sell them at, the quantity you must sell, um, you know, the pack quantity you must sell them at. You can't sell these products to these customers. But Aaron, don't worry about any of that, mate. You can just do whatever you like. And having, you know, having <laughs> an e-commerce system that doesn't follow those business rules or having a product like Lucy that doesn't follow those business rules really can cause you more problems than it's create, you know, than it's solving really, because you just get all these variances and, you know, you have those business rules in for a reason. You don't want to, if you're selling uh, boxes of 12 glasses, you don't want somebody ordering 11 of them because it means that you've now got one of them sitting on the shelf that's probably just going to get broken. And that that's how I talk about the difference between an interface to an ERP system, which is really just getting data in and out, and integration, which is getting data in and out and then interpreting those business rules, which is, which is I think, super important, especially in the B2B world. Oh, now that we, we feel exactly the same way. Yeah, okay, cool. So have you seen any other benefits you know, that Lucy has brought to customers? Obviously, there's the obvious ones with the cost of serve and the better customer service. But is there anything else that, you know, you didn't expect to be a benefit to a customer that uh, has come out? Yeah, look, quite a few things. Um, I, I think when we started the journey with Lucy, um, we were really, you know, focused on, well, how do we make her usable and, you know, solve that, that process of, uh, you know, PDF purchase order to, to sales order. But as we started to get more customers on board, we were able to start to look at collective data and really sort of see what's happening. And um, when we started to zoom in on some of the, I guess, abnormalities, we started to find some interesting things. So so we sort of put reporting high on our agenda and started to dig a bit deeper. And um, one of the things that, that happened um, not, not too long ago was uh, we noticed a discrepancy between what customers were ordering on their their purchase order versus the amount of lines that actually got invoiced out. So it was very strange that a bunch of lines could just go walkabouts. So um, after digging deeper with that particular customer, we noticed it on it, it actually ended up being that their customers were ordering obsolete stock. 
And because it wasn't available in the system, what the customer service rep was doing was deleting the line, pushing the order through and letting the customer know it wasn't available anymore rather than you know trying to find a replacement product for that. Right, so they, right. they ended up going on a blitz. Now they understood the problem to you know rejig the process to say, well, you know, if it is obsolete, we've now got a process in play to find the replacement product for that. So we don't have revenue leakage. And you know, just just that one thing alone, finding that one piece of data paid for Lucy four times over. So, you know, while we do focus on that process of purchase order to sales order, there's a lot of other benefits that come with having that data and understanding what's happening in that process. Because if you know that there's a problem, you can improve it. If you've got people doing swivel chair integration, they're essentially masking those problems because yeah. they just kind of fix those one-offs. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. if you've got the data yeah. for the end-to-end, you can actually fix yeah, it. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So I guess it would also have another benefit in that if your customer's always ordering products and they've got the wrong price, that's got to cause them a problem down the track as well because you're going to send them and they, they've got a price list that is last year's price list. You've raised prices by five percent since then and you might have raised it across the board so everything's out by five percent you're just going to change that to your erp price because the price that's that's your business rules and you're going to invoice that for an extra five percent that would cause them a massive amount of extra work when they process their creditors invoice and do that three-way match they'll have all their variances so imagine you could look at that data and go to that customer and say hey here's the new price list you need to update it and, and really save that customer some downstream, you know, processing costs. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, invoice disputes. Uh, we, could, we could talk forever about that. But um, I guess, yeah, that sort of leads back to the, the reporting stuff we, we touched on. Um, we, we actually provide our customers with a set of reports to help combat that exact problem. Yep. Um, because it's not always on the customer side. It can be on the product side too. So um, we give people reports at whatever interval they would prefer, weekly, monthly, whatever it might be, um, that actually list in detail which customers got the price wrong on which product codes and in what direction so they can see the delta. And, and they're using those to then feedback uh, to their customers via usually the rep channels, uh, but then also to the product team if they notice that um, you know, it should have actually been that price and it wasn't set that in the system. And um, it's I guess it's like one of those swivel chair integration things where a customer service rep would just fix the price and mask the problem and carry on. Mm. Whereas having the data, having the proof, yeah. getting the like to force data. everybody to stop, yeah. you know, you can actually fix it. Yeah, okay. Look, Aaron, that has been super interesting. And as I said earlier, I think there's a lot of companies out there that don't realize that that, you know, that middle section of their customers that are ordering via PDF, there are solutions out there that they can implement and, and you know, really digitize that part of the business and, and get, your, get their customer service people, you know, adding different types of value rather than, you know, as you, as you I like that term, the swivel chair integration um, stuff. So, yeah, thanks very much today for joining us, Aaron. Thank you. So, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Aaron from L- Lucy. Uh, pretty cool product, as I said. Goes to show that there are solutions out there for most problems that you can experience within a business and that, uh, you know, there are some pretty cool solutions out there as well. And, you know, as I said, integration is a must for all of them. Look, that's it. For this month's e-commerce experience podcast, we wish you well, especially if you're in Victoria. Stay strong down there and we'll see you next month. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on the e-commerce experience. 
if you found today's episode valuable. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming shows.